A reading from Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abides, these three, and the greatest of these is love. These past several weeks, I've been preaching from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, The church in Corinth was a very troubled church. And uh, if you can think of the most frustrating aspects of what it means to be church together and the people who irritate you the most and the problems and issues that scare you the most, Corinth was dealing with it. And they are St. Paul's quintessential problem child. And anything that could have happened in a church seems to have happened in Corinth. These last couple of weeks, we've been reading Paul's uh, encouragement to them about what it means to be the body of Christ and what it means to love one another and to care for one another as the body of Christ. And the passage that we heard this morning, Paul was talking about a text that we get very often at weddings, a text about love as the greatest and most enduring of all spiritual gifts. And as I was preparing the sermon for this week, I thought back to when I graduated from high school, and our yearbook team put together a supplement under the title Superlatives. I had to look the word up. Superlatives mean something like, you know, one who is the most fill-in-the-blank, or the greatest fill-in-the-blank. Now, students nominated each other to more than 60 categories in these superlatives, and they voted for three boys and three girls in each category. For example, Curtis was voted most likely to become a movie star, while Stephanie was voted most artistic. Alexa was voted most intelligent, and Eric was voted most secretly admired. If you were remembered in a superlative, 
It meant that you distinguished yourself in the eyes of your peers by how you looked or who you were or what you had done. It meant that people were watching you, that somehow your life mattered. We all want to live lives that matter. And at some level, we all want to be recognized by our peers. So I'm not surprised then that the Christians in Corinth were eager to distinguish themselves by their spiritual gifts. If the church in Corinth produced a yearbook, as some congregations do, they might have included a supplement with the following superlatives. Most spiritual, most angelic tongue, most prophetic, most mystical, most knowledgeable, greatest faith, gave up the most, suffered most for Christ. Anyone who received a nomination couldn't help but feel good about themselves, even if they didn't win. Within Christian circles, there was no greater honor than for others to see the Spirit working in you in these ways. Yet St. Paul was unimpressed with their distinctions. Such spiritual gifts were all fine and good in his estimation, but without love. They were completely worthless. Without love, the most angelic tongue was no better than the noisiest gong. Without love, the most prophetic might as well have been the most judgmental. And greatest faith might as well be greatest hypocrite. St. Paul had good reason to be concerned because the Corinthians' spiritual talent show was more about self-esteem than it was about the generosity of God. It was more about self-worth than it was about genuine concern for the worth and well-being of others. In short, the love of God and the love of neighbor were dominated by the love of self in the Corinthian church. We all want to live lives that matter, and at some level we want to be recognized by our peers for our looks, for who we are, for what we have accomplished. I recently attended a wedding where I ran into an old college friend who I haven't seen since we graduated more than a decade ago. As we talked, my friend said, well, I guess we made it. Not everyone does, but... Somehow we all did. If you listen carefully, you can hear something going on that I'm sure happens at every reunion. My friend, whether consciously or not, was evaluating classmates, former classmates, by their accomplishments. I would be lying if I didn't say that at some level I was doing the same thing. But this brings us to one of a core beliefs that shapes our lives. We judge and are judged according to how we look, who we are, and what we do. Basic life experience seems to confirm this. When one of my seminary classmates balked at all the training pastors are required to go through, a professor said, As I told my confirmation class when they complained about worship attendance and sermon notes, yes, you are saved by grace, 
but you are confirmed by works. We earn respect. We win awards. We achieve success. That we are judged and that we judge by our works is so obvious to us that a gospel of grace seems like nonsense in what we call the real world. We take it for granted that God takes our works into account when evaluating our fitness for eternal life and the kingdom of heaven. Suddenly, we find ourselves making up Corinthian-style superlatives like most loving, most generous, hardest working, most experienced, or most faithful. We never stop to ask ourselves if such superlatives are helpful in a kingdom where the symbol of greatness is an overlooked and unassuming child. We never stop to ask ourselves if such distinctions are faithful in a kingdom where those who work one hour receive the same pay as those who spend a whole day laboring in the scorching heat. Clearly, God judges us by a different set of standards than we use for one another. Could it be that we are not judged by our looks, who we are, or what we have done, but by God's love for us in Jesus Christ? St. Paul seemed to think so, for he was clear that the value of any person, gift, or work depends entirely on love. Without love, celestial speech is just noise. Without love, a prophet or a giant of faith is worthless. Without love, voluntary poverty and even martyrdom are pointless. If we must talk of superlatives, then let us talk of love. For St. Paul says, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. But let us not boast of our love, for like knowledge and prophecy, we love only in part. Let us boast of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, an all-encompassing perfect love, that drives out fear of rejection and judgment. Jesus once said, No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We often think about this happening on the cross, but Jesus laid down his life for us the moment that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. For us and for our salvation, God willingly takes on our flesh in Christ, along with all of our fleshy limitations. Eternal life willingly suffers the limits of our mortality, so that we may live in perfect love, without fear, without limit. Such an act of justifying love imparts value and worth all on its own, apart from our merits. It demands nothing from us in return, nor is there anything that we could possibly give to add or to take away from such love. 
We all want to a life that matters. And no life matters apart from the love that God has for us and for our neighbor in Jesus Christ. If we are to judge one another, then let us judge one another by God's love in Jesus Christ. Let us judge each other not by how we look, who we are, or what we have done, but by the love of the Incarnation, which enables us to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. In the Resurrection... No one will care or even remember who was voted most likely to be a movie star or most artistic, most intelligent, or most secretly admired. All that will matter is the perfect love that God has in Christ for them, for you, and for me. Now we know only in parts. Then we will know fully, even as we have been fully known by the God who loves us to the cross and back. Good news like this has its own implications for our lives. Every person that we see today wears the flesh of our Lord. Every person that we meet is someone for whom Jesus laid down his life. How can we pass judgment, any other judgment than God already has, on someone God loves so freely? How can we withhold any good thing from another who is worth so much in God's eyes? Let us learn from the missteps of our forebears in Corinth, who coveted the recognition of their peers and who valued personal honor above the well-being of their neighbors. A life that matters is a life loved by God. And those who seem least loved by worldly standards need to hear this good news the most. As I look back at some of the superlatives in my high school yearbook, I wonder who most needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ back then. Was it Jeff? who talked the most and said the least? Was it Anna, who was known only for her silence? Was it Jason, who was born in the wrong generation? Or Gail, who was most likely to drop out of college? All distinguished themselves in the eyes of their peers. But how many were truly blessed by the judgments passed by their classmates? While there will always be those who pass judgment against us, let us hold fast to the truth that God has already judged the world in Christ. God has already judged us in Christ. Not by how we look, who we are, or what we have done, but by God's own justifying love for each and every one of us. In Christ, you have been fully known. In Christ, you have been named beloved. In Christ, you have been given a share in the kingdom 
where perfect love reigns eternally.